Well, good morning. I'm so glad you said that back. Otherwise, I would have just been standing here. Today's a great day. We had a, a wedding at our church yesterday. Um, but I think our, our greatest jubilation here in the church office is that our, our glorious leader, Pastor Will, is back. And so he's actually helping his wife out in the nursery this morning, which I think is a good demonstration of, of husbandry. And husbandry is what you do with animals, being a husband. So get a <laughs> it's, it's child hus- husbandry is what it is. Um, which is too bad because I had all these jokes about how I was going to ask him to like, hey, it's your turn to preach today, didn't you know? But oh well, I guess we'll just have to go on into our lesson. And so um, I'm sorry that you're robbed of that because they were pretty funny. But <laughs> I, I found that that's the best way to tell jokes. Just say, say to people that the joke would be funny if I told it and then that way I don't have to think of something funny to say. Uh, we're going to be going through Proverbs again today. We're going to continue in our series, and we're going to be talking about the concept of diligence. Now, the way we came up with these in the church office is at a meeting, uh, Pastor Will asked us to come up with, well, what are the topics of, of Proverbs? And, and some of us said, well, it's, it's uh, you know, loving wisdom or loving discipline some fool said diligence because that would mean that one of us would be responsible to preach on that, and, and that was me, and, and I don't know why I said that, because I'm not a diligent individual, and now I get to preach on that. And the constant thing I was told is, well, Jeff, now you get to finally learn. And I'm glad, because when I was going through studying the book of Proverbs on the nature of diligence, I found that it was not what I thought. Uh, laziness is not what we think it looks like. It's more insidious, it's sneaky, and that makes it hard for us to avoid. And so um, as we look through Proverbs, we're going to be looking at the concept of diligence. Now, the whole book of Proverbs is talking about fools, and fools are a no-win scenario. The scripture actually says in Proverbs 26 that uh, answer a fool not according to his folly, or else you, sh- uh, uh, or else he shall think himself wise. Answer a fool according to his folly, and you shall become like him. Right? It's like whatever you do around a fool, no matter what you choose, as soon as a fool enters the scenario, it's bad, and and there's nothing you can do to make a fool better. Um, and in order to deal with fools because they're just so deadly, I guess, in a way, is we treat them with humor. Uh, uh, when we call people stupid, it's kind of a, a, an endearing quality because we want to overlook their foolish character in order to still love them, right? And so in order to talk about fools, um, I decided to come up with, a, not come up with, but do some research and find nice ways to call someone a fool. And I, I have 11 ways Nice ways to call someone foolish. I'll read them off to you. Number one, wisdom has been chasing you your entire life, but you have always been faster. You have an admirable ability to make the unexpected, or sorry, to make the expected seem unexpected. Your IQ has an impressive ability to hide from you. You are the epitome of simplicity. I envy your ability to remain unencumbered by profound thought. You have an amazing talent for turning the act of learning into a thrilling game of hide and seek. Your mind is truly a fortress. Nothing ever penetrates it. 
While making wise decisions isn't your strong suit, you have an incredible ability to make people laugh. You, are con you continually inspire me that wisdom isn't everything. Your insights are like precious pearls, hard to find in the sea of common sense. You always commit to the belief that knowledge is a choice, and I admire your courage to be different. And the last one, I admire the way that you never let knowledge interfere with your opinions. Or if you're from the South, this is a bonus one, simply bless your heart. <laughs> if someone is dumb, we can make light of it. Most of the time, calling someone dull is a playful teasing more than an insult. But not all faults are easy to take lightly. Laziness, for example, is toxic to all who encounter it, and it's never funny if we deal with it on a personal level. Laziness is destructive, or as Proverbs 10.26 says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the lazy are to those who employ them. And so as we continue in our Proverbs study, today we're going to be tackling this important concept of diligence and the importance that we embrace our entire life's pursuit to be in the pursuit of diligence and avoiding laziness at all costs. And so I have a, a whole string of Proverbs that I'm going to be reading to you. You guys, uh, I'm not expecting you to thumb through these because they will be going through. I, I want you to know that in my uh, study this week, I was reading through Proverbs. I tried to pull out all the Proverbs that deal specifically with laziness or diligence. There are more than seven pages single space, so it's a big topic in the book of Proverbs, and I, I just keep you guys here all day if I read them all to you, so I'm just going to kind of thumb through and, and go through the ones I thought were most profound or uh, dealing with our lesson today. So um, I'm not going to read the the, the citation, I'm just going to read the Proverbs itself, and you can read the, the reference on screen. Let's start. It says this, How long will you lie there, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. A slack hand causes poverty, but the end of diligence makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. He who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard is to those who send him. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Love, not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And lastly, the desire of the sluggard kills him. 
for his hands refuse labor. As long as he craves, all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we come to you with this desire to be diligent, and I think some of us think we are, but we'll find out maybe not. Uh, if they're like me, we wish we were, and wish we knew how to be more diligent. And, and Lord, it, it's largely a character thing of, of whether we have it or not, but in a lot of ways, too, it's something that can be learned. And Father, you expect us to learn it, because as we're going to find, laziness is sin, and we're called to be sanctified out of it. Help us to learn to love diligent work, because it is an act of worship. We ask this in your name, open our minds, open our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, we mentioned earlier that uh, uh, being a fool is, is playful teasing. As you know, my wife is from Korea, and we have a word that we use in our home in Korean. It's babo, and that means stupid. Uh, it, it's a, a playful term. I promise you I earn it regularly. It's a way that my wife loves me and pokes me and teases at me. I'm sure you guys understand that because we have a similar uh, way that we use the word in English. It's a way to overlook the faults of somebody that we love. But I can't think of a single culture in which lazy is anything except an extreme insult. I tried to find tongue-in-cheek quotes about fun ways to call people lazy, but there really just aren't any. Instead, mostly people reflect on laziness as a curse with many types of thorns and punishments. Robert Half, do I have them up here? I don't. Okay. Robert Half says, laziness is a secret ingredient to failure, remaining a secret only to those who fail. Jules Renard says, failure is not the only punishment for laziness. There is also having to witness the success of others. Charles Spurgeon says, there is no fatigue so wearisome as that which comes from a lack of work. Cyril Connolly, a lazy person has condemned himself to second-rate thoughts and fills his company with second-rate friends. An Omaha Indian proverb says that the lazy man is good only at being envious of others. And Sir Thomas Fowle Buxton says that laziness grows on people. It begins in cobwebs and ends in iron chains. It's scathing as it is revealing, isn't it? Or there is, as the Apostle Paul said, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat, for they walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Or, if anyone does not provide for their members of their own household, he is worse than an unbeliever. Fools can be tolerated. Sluggards are intolerable. They are a curse to all who know them. And the deeper that we root ourselves within them, the more we are pricked by their thorns. And yet, despite how the lazy annoy us, we have a really hard time considering the fact that laziness is a moral issue. There is no punishment in society for the crime of laziness. It's just your duty to avoid them. But the truth of the matter is that though it may not seem like a moral issue in today's society, according to Scripture, laziness and diligence are moral issues. 
Skim with me the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. We're not going to read it because I'm hoping it's familiar to you. But the premise of it is that the good servants are given talents and then they invest them and are rewarded for their hard work. You remember, they, he's given ten, he invests, or he's given five, he invests the five, and, and, or ten, and then he invests ten, comes back with twenty-five, and then he invests the five and comes back with ten. And then there's the, the worthless servant who hid the talent in the ground and then he gained nothing for it. You guys remember that. But I want you to look with me at the master's accusation at the servant who invests nothing. And you'll see in Matthew 25, verse 26, he accuses him and he says, you wicked and slothful servant. You see, when Jesus is describing laziness, it's immediately a moral issue of evil, isn't it? In fact, the word that Jesus uses is poneros, which is the word for evil in Greek. And it is the word that is used to describe the greatest type of evil a person is doing. It is used to describe the innate evil that comes from an evil heart. Wickedness. And look at the consequence for this wicked servant's laziness. First, after being rebuked, he is confiscated of any reward that he has for being allowed to live in the master's house. That's in verse 28. Secondly, he is declared worthless verse 30. And then finally, this is telling, he's cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell, the place for moral evil, the destination for the hypocrites who are cut up into pieces before they're cast into it, Matthew 24. And for those who witness Jesus' miracles and still prefer to live in their evil ways, Luke 13. So slothfulness is a sin issue. We don't think about it that way, but God says it's wicked and evil and deserving of great punishment. And now you might say here, looking at this parable and say, wait a minute, Jeff, this is not actually about work, it's about the kingdom of heaven. He's using a parable to talk about the kingdom of heaven. So it's not a sin issue that he's talking about of laziness, he's really just talking about how it's evil to receive the gospel and then not live it out and share it with others. And to that I would say, true. This parable is about spiritual obedience and sharing the gospel. You are correct. But notice what basis upon which Jesus declares that it is an evil thing for you to receive the gospel and then not share it? Does Jesus say it's a new type of sin? You are now guilty of refusing to share the gospel? No. Instead, what does he do? He builds it upon the legitimacy of an already existing wickedness, slothfulness. For as God said in Proverbs, Whoever slacks in his work is a brother of him who destroys. You guys can understand that. Or, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard is to the one who employs him. Or, in Proverbs 15, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. The entire foundation upon which Jesus condemns those who refuse to share the gospel is established upon the fact that doing so brings death to those who do not hear it. If you are lazy in sharing the gospel, you bring death to the person who does not hear it. 
Just as the sluggard kills himself and others by their refusal to work, so also the lazy in faith kills himself and others by their refusal to share their faith. Diligence and laziness are incredible moral issues in Scripture. And it's important that we open our hearts to that because we go too long permitting ourselves to engage in laziness thinking, if anything, it's a character flaw, when in reality it's sin. Now, what does laziness look like? This is one of the things that I've discovered through reading Scripture. Laziness is not what I thought. I thought a lazy person is the person who sits down and never gets up and does anything. But it's more insidious, as I said. Over the many years of ministry, we've, my wife and I have been pursuing my ministry now since what? Well, you've been with me since 2015. Thank you. She says, no, don't talk about me, Jeff. Um, she asked me, am I in your sermon this week? Are you going to use us as illustrations? I don't think I am. Um, I don't think. She's going to tell me I'm not even allowed to say her name in sermons from now on. Uh, but I've been in ministry, so she's been with me since 2015 uh, when we got married. I've been in this since 2011. And in my many years of ministry, uh, I've encountered, mourned with people, struggled with them as they struggled to make ends meet, seen them fall into terrible circumstances. And most of the time, it's not their fault. But every now and then, my wife and I meet a couple where the husband usually, but sometimes it's the wife, is out of work, and then the finances begin to take a dive. Not always their fault, but eventually these type of people may grow up to their eyeballs in debt. Their family then begins to depend on the gifts, food, and clothing donated by others. And often their living situation is at threat because they can eventually no longer afford rent. And interestingly, though they cannot get a job, they're all constantly trying to find a job. They remark how all the available jobs are below their level of education or skill set. They comment that though they're looking for jobs, all the available jobs are, quote, beneath them, and that they cast all of their hopes that someday they're going to open a new business venture if only things work out, but alas, nothing ever comes to fruition, and they spend all their days fantasizing about the job they may have instead of in going and getting the job that they should have. And this always sat wrong with me, and I never was really able to understand why. I didn't really have a finger to, to put it on. I just said, you're being weird, right? But after reading Proverbs, I understand the reason it sat so poorly with me is because these usually husbands are in sin. They're in the sin of laziness. They are what Proverbs calls the sluggard. One of the things that I have realized that though we define laziness as being unwilling to do work, it's more complicated than that. The sluggard never understands that they are a sluggard. Slothfulness is sneakier than you might suspect because it is always thinking that it might soon be successful. According to Proverbs, the sluggard can be identified by the following. First, remember from last week that the definition of a sluggard, which is a type of fool that we find in Proverbs. There, there are five types of fools in Proverbs. The sluggard is one of them. And it is defined as one who disdains discipline so much that they harm themselves with scarcity 
through their lack of effort on their own part. They view poverty and scarcity as more endurable than the pain that comes from effort. And they deem those who work hard as being foolish because they're always thinking there's an easier way to be successful. They never find it, but they're always looking for it. Jesus calls them hypocrites in the parable of the talents. They expect to be rewarded without effort. And Proverbs compares them to the senseless, literally the one who lacks a mind, for they live in the constant conviction that though their behavior produces death in other people, they're convinced that somehow it will produce life and success on their own life. The sluggard also lives under the constant deception, under constant deception and a broken worldview. They are motivated by the hopes that somehow they may make it rich by doing what they think is fun and that they will be successful by what they consider to be play. Proverbs 28 calls these worthless pursuits. They believe that any risk or danger makes diligence a foolish endeavor. They're constantly crying, there's a lion in the streets, or that work is not safe, or that work is too dirty for me to engage in. Those who are sluggards rest so often that they treat sleep as a delicacy, Proverbs 6 says. They're constantly hatching, quote, new endeavors, which are only really just hopes for them to get rich from their hobbies, Proverbs 12. They always speak of plans to be productive, but they never move past the talking about it phase. Proverbs 14, they lean on others day after day to provide, but they will always come back and ask again tomorrow. Proverbs 30 says that the leech has two daughters. Who are they? Do we know? Give and give. Those are the two daughters of the leech. They do not do hard work and preparation because they hope that they will somehow reap reward without it. They do not plow the fields in autumn, Proverbs 20 says. The only work they only work in quick or sudden inspirations, but give up if they can't find success quickly. Proverbs 21. They love pleasure, and whenever they come into money, instead of spending it on necessities or investing it properly, they spend it on luxuries. Proverbs 21 says it's oil and wine, and ultimately they live an unbalanced life, having luxurious items and designer clothes, but living in hovels. They genuinely believe that, sensible, that no sensible opportunity for work exists, and they value their own opinion over others. Proverbs 26 says that the sluggard's opinion is wiser in his own eyes than the response of seven men who can respond sensibly. So this is the sluggard. It's not quite what you think. They're always planning. They're always thinking. They're always hoping. They think they like work. Alas, they can never find it. There's an excuse behind their laziness. It's not that I'm lazy, they will say. The right opportunity just hasn't come up yet. We must be careful to think that this is not us. And thus the sluggard is asleep in two ways. Asleep because they're literally asleep all the time, but also asleep because they're ignorant of the way that the world works. They're ignorant of the nature of their own motivations. And in all this, Scripture says they are deep in sin. And so our call is not to be lazy, 
but diligent, to be working. And Proverbs teaches us a lot on how to be diligent. There, there are many ways to be diligent. I, I would be up here all day if I tried to explain them to you, but I think that I have found three main ways in which Proverbs says that we are to avoid being lazy, but instead to pursue diligence as a lifestyle. And so, here are three ways that we can pursue diligence and avoid being a slug. The first way that we may practice diligence is to understand that diligence has good work ethic. You probably could have guessed that one. Um, the diligent, another way to say it, is that the diligent pursues a love for the institution of work. About a month ago, my family went to Omaha on vacation, and it was great. Um, well, Omaha, I don't know, I'm from Los Angeles, so any other city I think is just like a wannabe L.A., but um, Omaha is actually pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, the zoo was, was almost as good as the San Diego Zoo, and, which, which is not a, it's not a put-down. San Diego Zoo is like the, the F-15 of, of, uh, of zoos. Like, this was pretty good. Children's Museum, if you're going to go to Omaha, my son ran around and got exhausted. It was great. We slept like babies. But afterwards, we went up to the small town of Nebraska called Wisner. You guys ever heard of Wisner? Anybody know about Wisner, Nebraska? Small little town, one. Okay, Nancy, I'm proud of you. What? <laughs> small town, 1,200 people. Nowhere, right? It's close to a town called Wayne, um, which is also small, but uh, Wisner, Nebraska, we went there. Why did we go there, you may ask? Well, because back in 1952, my father was born there. Uh, my, my father lived there until 1956. It wasn't very long, so he, he and his family eventually moved to L.A., um, but every year he would go back until 1980, I think he said. So into his 30s, he would go back to Wisner, Nebraska every year with his sister and his two girl cousins. And as soon as we got in and we started asking around, immediately in this small town, as small town folk do, word began to spread that the Drews are back, right? All these, these now older ladies coming out and out of the woodwork and saying, I remember the Drews, it was great. And that's my impression of an old lady, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I know, don't write me. I, I know that I, don't, I shouldn't make those jokes. But <laughs> They all commented how they remembered the Drews, how they remembered that every time the girls would come back in from California, they would bring the latest trends with them. One lady commented that the Drew girls were the first ones to show her how to curl her hair with soup cans. And the, I don't know if you're old enough to know about that, but I was shocked. I also heard them say that I always teased Bradley, but I always thought he was kind of cute. And, and so it was kind of interesting. My dad was with us, and so he was blushing quite a bit. It's the kind of thing that you find in only small-town America. Well, funny enough, we stumbled upon a local heritage museum, and, and what we found I thought was quite amazing in addition to having photos of my grandfather going off to war with all the other Wisner boys, the entire town left for World War II. It was quite a remarkable photo to witness. I, I wonder how many of them just didn't come back. In addition to finding a yearbook that listed my grandmother as, quote, teacher of the year, her maiden name, of course. In addition to those, we found a school yearbook from 1947, and on the front page was a dedication to Arch Drew, my great-grandfather. They wrote this, We, 
the members of the junior and senior class of 1947 to 1948 dedicate our annual to our good friend, Mr. Arch Drew. His willingness to help us at all times is appreciated. His ready smile and friendliness will long be a pleasant memory. It makes us happy to give this book to him. He was the school janitor. A diligent man, he never lacked, but he was never pr too proud to do any job. If you ask me, that is a cool photo. I don't know anybody who could go into some small town museum and find a school yearbook dedicated to their janitor grandfather. And I did. This section alone of loving good work ethic is worthy of an entire sermon, but the basic principles of diligence in Proverbs are whoever finds or whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, Proverbs 27, and the understanding that in all toil there is profit, Proverbs 14. Proverbs says that the hallmark characteristic of the one who is diligent is that they won, they are willing to work under great exertion and toil as a necessary tool for gain. Two, they live under the constant expectation that they should depend on no one to provide anything that is necessary before they have tried to earn it themselves. Number three, the diligent are willing to do the necessary work to gain slowly. Proverbs 13 says to gain little by little. And they understand that all reward for work is a late game result. They are never given to get rich quickly schemes. Pro, uh, number four, it is important to them that they gain their success righteously just as much as they value success itself. Number five, they value humility and do not desire attention for their hard work, but they count it as the most basic thing expected from them. Number six, they are aware that they may fail, and because they're aware that failure may come at any minute, they're always planning on what the next step will be. And number seven, no job is too sloppy for them. The shame of being lazy is greater than the shame of being dirty. These are the characteristics of the diligent. But probably the most significant detail of the diligent is that they work through, that the work Sorry, that though the work is strenuous and hard, they do not ever do it begrudgingly. For them, work is the purpose of their human pursuit and a critical portion of their worship to God. That's Proverbs 16, verse 3. David Ben-Gurion, one of the key founders of the state of Israel and the first prime minister of Israel, said this. This is a biblical worldview, is it not? We do not consider manual work as a curse or a bitter necessity, not even as a means for making a living. We consider it as a high human function. Isn't that amazing? As a basis for human life. The most dignified thing in the life of a human is being and uh, of a human being and which ought to be free and creative. Men ought to be proud of it. When God made mankind, he took Adam, placed him in the garden for the purpose, quote, to work and keep it. Genesis chapter 2, 15. His job is to bring it and to subdue it under his control. And it was hard. He needed help. That's why God created Eve. And yet in all of that, it was good. 
And the diligent understand that. The diligent never allow any curse of sin or thorns and thistles of work to allow them to hate work. Diligent work is always a joy to the one who is diligent because they have good work ethic. That's the first way that we are diligent, to have good work ethic. Secondly, in order to have diligence, first, have good work ethic. Secondly, Proverbs says that if we want to be diligent, we need to exercise diligence in all areas of life. Probably the most diligent person that I've ever met is a man named Justin Prochi. He's so diligent, I use him on all of my character references because if he likes me, I figure that says something. In fact, it's because of his hand that I am serving the Lord today. He used to, to meet me every week to teach me the gospel. That's why I got saved. He's also successful, though, being a very influential engineer in the pharmaceutical industry. He reverse engineers pharmaceutical te uh, technology in order that his company can come up with the same technology and produce the, the medications that have gone out of patent. A very brilliant man. But his diligence is marked in my mind as having very little to do with his work ethic. Instead, he's diligent in my mind because every Friday for two years, though he was busy, he made sure to get off work at 5 p.m. so he can drive an hour to meet me at 6 p.m. And, and answer any questions on the Bible that I may have. He also daily reads his Bible, both for himself and to his four children. They are all coached in service and discipline. And he is an elder at his church, and he balances all of his time diligently in order to accomplish all of the things that are required of a godly man. That's diligence. Not just to say that he does work, but that he does all of the things that are required of a godly man. One of the great mistakes that we make as people is that we think that diligence is practiced simply in the work environment. That if we gain, that if we have grain in our silos, clients in our Rolodex, or if our calendars are booked out to November, that we may be not only successful, but that we somehow have virtues that other people do not have, that our success proves our diligence. If you need a reminder, let me remind you with this. Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. Success does not equate diligence. It is possible to work hard and reap nothing. It is possible to not work and get lucky. Diligence is a measure of heart and willingness, not a measure of the size of your industry and pocketbook. This is narrow-minded diligence. And unfortunately, one great danger of this type of thinking is that when we think this way, it allows us to overcompensate by masking laziness in other areas of our life. Diligence in Proverbs says that the diligent are diligent in all areas of life. And if you're not diligent outside of work, then you are not diligent at all, regardless of your career success. And that's a thought to think. Too many of us are convinced that we're doing good enough because we work hard. There are a few areas in which uh, Proverbs says that the diligent are diligent outside of work. And the first area that we are to be diligent outside of work is that those who are diligent are diligent in their pursuit of wisdom. 
The entirety of Proverbs is dedicated to the pursuit of wisdom. And Proverbs 8.17 says that wisdom loves those who love wisdom and those who seek wisdom early and diligently will find it. It says that the fruit of wisdom is better than gold and silver. It's better than the, the rewards of hard work alone. The diligent are careful to consider the ways of wisdom, and they do not neglect it, Proverbs uh, 8.33 says. They incline their hearts and make their ears attentive to that which is sound and sense. If you truly wish to be diligent, you will find your house, uh, sorry, you will fill your house with the advice of others, and you will be constantly willing to acknowledge that the path that I am on right now might not be the best, the best path for me. If you want to be diligent, be diligent in seeking wisdom. The second way you're to be diligent is to be diligent by loving righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with vigilance, for from it uh, flows the spring of life. Proverbs 11 says that, the righteousness, that righteousness delivers from death, not riches from work, but righteousness. And those who seek righteousness diligently gain favor from the Lord. Your call as a Christian is to be diligent and seeking sanctification and growing in righteousness of heart and loving righteousness with mind. You are called to train your mind to love godliness by keeping the book of the law on your lips at all times, meditating on it day and night, and being careful to do what is written within it, Joshua 1 verse 8. You are to, quote, take captive every thought in order to destroy strongholds of sin in our hearts, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. You cannot do that without diligence. And if you have grown slack in your faith, if you are abusing grace, if you are content at the current level of holiness in your life, then you are not being diligent. That's lazy diligence. It's the diligence of a fool. Diligence loves good and loves to seek to become better. And finally, diligence is exercised by being diligent at home with family. Once there was a young youth pastor who was called to preach the service because the head pastor was out on vacation, and, and the, the youth pastor thought, this is my chance. I'm going to go up and, and, and knock it out of the park. And so all week he spends in his office until 10 p.m. studying, trying to make it perfect, trying to deliver the perfect sermon. And so much so that his wife calls him and says, sweetie, you're not spending time with me. You've forgotten about me. You've forgotten about your family. You're working so hard. But of course the, the youth pastor says, well, sweetie, this is important. The church is depending on me. I have to do this. This is how I prove that I am a hard worker. So, he ignores the needs of his family, goes up on Sunday morning, preaches a sermon, and knocks it out of the park. Afterwards, people are coming up to him, as every pastor loves to hear, Oh, pastor, that was a fantastic sermon. You did so good. You, you're becoming one of the best pastors of your generation. And so, the pastor gets home, Sitting with his wife, he looks in the mirror and he goes, so I, I did pretty good today, didn't I? Wife says, uh-huh. He goes, 
You know, you know what they called me? What did they call you? They said that I, I may be one of the, the best pastors of my generation, that I'm becoming one of the greatest pastors they've ever heard. And she goes, uh-huh. And then he looks in the mirror and he says, I, I wonder how many truly great pastors there are in the world. And his wife goes, one less than you think. <laughs> it's weird to think, but if you work hard and do overtime every night, you might not be diligent. Scripture says that the diligent are diligent with their family. They are diligent to discipline, Proverbs 13, 24 says. Whoever loves his son disciplines him diligently. He's there. They are diligent to teach their children, utilizing every opportunity to teach the Scriptures, being diligent to teach them when you sit, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, Deuteronomy chapter 6. They are willing to sacrifice free time. Proverbs 31 says that the proper parent rises early to provide for the family. They don't say, I'm too tired from the work I did, you do it. They're diligent. That's lazy talk. That's the language of a sluggard to say, I'm too tired from work to take care of my family. The diligent are careful to spend time with their children. And if your husband or wife says you're always at work and you're never at home, then you're not being diligent. Being diligent requires that you practice diligence in all areas of life, not merely just being diligent at work. And only fools and lazy people leave diligence for their careers alone. So those are the first two ways that the diligent are to be diligent. First is to make sure that they have a good work ethic. Secondly is to make sure that they're diligent in all areas of life. And finally, the last mark of the diligent is rest. Diligent people know when to diligently rest. I remember when I first got saved, I walked into my pastor's office. He was older, I think in his mid-60s. And I walked in. And I open the door, and then I see him on his chair just leaning back, just kind of past, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I thought, well, I, that's lazy. <laughs> what is he doing? And so I went and I talked with the, the secretary, and I said, our pastor's asleep. And she goes, yeah, he does that a lot, right? And I'm sitting like, this guy needs to retire. He's old. He's passed out. He can't work. He's lazy. Well, I didn't know what I was talking about because fast forward five years, I'm now in ministry. Actually, this is probably fast forward eight years, right? Eight years later, I'd forgotten about this event completely until I was writing my sermon this week. I'm sitting down in my office at work, working at a church, exhausted, worked to the brink of exhaustion, and I decide, you know what? I'm tired. So a little bit of this happened, a little bit of that happened. Fast forward, and we'll just say that the head pastor and the treasurer walked in, found me curled up on the floor, a couch cushion as a pillow, and a piano cover as a blanket. I had classical music playing in the background to lull me to sleep. And as soon as that door opened, I shot up like I was sitting on a spring. What? I wasn't asleep, I swear. <laughs> and you know what the head pastor did? He leaned over turned off the light and said, sleep is a godly thing. I'll see you when you wake up. And he walked out. I don't think the treasurer felt the same way, so I, I, I still don't advise sleeping on the job. But it's a godly thing to rest. 
Knowing when to rest, when to take vacations, or just when to know when to stop working is a mark of diligence. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not toil to acquire rest or to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. Know when it's important enough to stop working. Understand that work's purpose is not to burn the candle at both ends, but that rest is necessary to be a good worker. That, that's a key insight to diligence. Well, you might say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. That's nonsense. Either way, you're out, right? And if you need to take rest in order to make sure that you get your job done, that's good diligence. If you are finding that you're getting tired at the, uh, and at the end of your usefulness, it's a diligent thing to sleep, to take a vacation, to rest. It makes you a better worker, and it takes better care of your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is careful to advise rest. He modeled it. After working hard for six days, He took a whole day to rest. He commands that we rest on the Sabbath, that we do not work as a form of worship. He commands that even oxen are allowed to eat on the threshing floor and even Jesus rested when he was physically exhausted. Rest is important. One of the greatest pleasures that I have as a, as a pastor is to coach people when to stop working and when to rest. Everyone needs rest in a while. Sometimes we need whole seasons of rest. In fact, we have several people in our church right now who are very hard workers in our church who are no longer able to work because they had babies and they're tired. And they think it, well, some of them thought it was sin to stop working. And we had a wonderful talk about how it is good to stop working, to rest for an entire season because you are physically exhausted and that tiredness is robbing your ability to serve other areas of diligence in your life. It's a good thing to rest. It will do your heart good. Know when to say no. Proverbs 3 coaches that sleep is actually the reward for those who are diligent. Keep sound wisdom. That's a mark of diligence. And then when you lie down, you will not be afraid, but your sleep will be sweet. Proverbs 3.24. Now, can you sleep too much? Yes. Proverbs 6 talks a lot about this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and scarcity like an armed man. Sleeping too much, treating it as a delicacy to be enjoyed, <laughs> that's lazy. But taking rest because you're dead tired is good, and you're more diligent when you do that. And we need to learn that. Rest as a concept is important and necessary, and you need to understand the importance of working it into your working diligence routine. Diligence is hard. It's not my strong suit at least if I measure diligence according to the world. My office is a mess. My house is a mess. My mind is a mess. Everything's a mess. I'm always forgetting what I'm supposed to be doing, and then I do a last minute, and, and, and it always seems like, you know, I, I'm limited my, by my ability. That's what it always seems like. And in my mind, I'm not diligent. But then when I read Scripture, I'm encouraged that I can be diligent. Because being diligent is not a measure of how clean your office is or how organized you are but it's a measure of mind. It's a measure of your desire to love the concept of work. It's a measure of desire to uh, develop 
diligence in all areas of life, and it is a measure of desire to know when you are limited and to rest when it is necessary. And I can do that. I can do that joyfully as worship unto God, because that's diligence. When you do this, it makes you diligent, and what's more is it makes you an admirable worker in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We wish we loved work. Some of us do. Some of us treat it as an idol. Some of us treat it as the plague. The answer is not to say that the right approach is somewhere in between, but rather that the answer is more. Diligence and proper life etiquette is more than simply working hard, and we need to know that. To treat work as it was meant to be, a life's purpose and a function of worship. When we do this, Lord, we can be diligent by your grace. We pray that we can pursue it more and more with our lives so that we may not be the sluggard, which is condemned, but that we may say that we have worked hard and that we may receive the blessing, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let us serve you this way, we ask, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.